Good morning, church. Let's stand together. Time to celebrate our God. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. Always good to be here worshiping with you guys and learning about our Lord. It's a beautiful day, amen. Every day is a beautiful day with him. So it's exciting to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So let's go ahead and our, we're going to bow our heads and our hearts as we just prepare for this time and surrender to him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for all that you are, for all that you do, God. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to hang on that cross for our sins, for being so merciful to us when we don't deserve it, God. And for giving us grace upon grace, compassion and love. Lord, we just come here this morning seeking you, longing to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We know, God, that in you there is perfect peace. So, God, we're clinging to that promise today, Lord, that despite what's going on in our lives around us, in the sea of darkness and the shadows, God, you are that light, Jesus. And Lord, we cry out to you this morning because we need you. We cannot do this without you, God. So we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our ears to what you have for us this morning. We pray for Rhema. God, speak to our hearts. Reveal yourself to us and draw us closer to your son. We thank you for joy and peace and the ability to worship you freely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, 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 
church how are we doing today awesome I, I see a lot of spring colors I love it lots of pink uh, lots of pink so um, yeah we're gonna continue with announcements okay we have quite a few announcements uh, starting with um, becoming a member here at the church okay if you're interested in becoming a member of living word community church please fill out a membership card in the welcome center and drop it in the folder marked completed forms Someone from our office staff will be in touch with you. We will be announcing the class date shortly. So again, right, we've been talking about this every week. If the Lord has called you to plant your flag here in this church, then make sure that you uh, contact the person or you're aware of when this is, okay? Because um, it's good to become a member of the church so we can serve the Lord, right? That's a way to serve the Lord um, by becoming a member and being involved with everything that's going on. Uh, so just an FYI, the Bible studies and the prayer meetings, um, we're, we're no longer going to be announcing that that's going to be on the website. Okay. So just make sure that if, um, there's always Bible studies and prayer meetings every single week. So go on the website and check out the dates. Um, so just take a picture of that one and then that one. Okay. Um, but next week it's, you have to look it up online. And then the women's ministry is having a paint and praise night on Friday, June 9th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. here in the church. We'll be painting and worshiping the we'll be painting and worshiping the Lord. Light snacks will be offered. Sign up with Jessica R uh, Rivera at the Welcome Center today. And on Saturday, June 10th, we're having a daddy-daughter lunch for girls ages 6 through 14 here in the church from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Bring your dad, an uncle, grandpa, or a close friend. Enjoy this special opportunity for dads and daughters to make memories that will last a lifetime. Sign up in the Welcome Center today with Raquel Rufo. And uh, there's a correction for the, the date. Last week, we gave you a different date, so this is the correct date. 
Okay, so we're going to be having the Father's Day softball game and barbecue Saturday, June 17th in uh, Twinboro Field in Dumont from 12 to 4 p.m. Sign up in the Welcome Center today if you're interested in attending with your family. We need to know how much food to purchase for the barbecue. Okay. Okay, do we have any guests today? We'd like to welcome you. Please raise your hand. Any guests, please raise your hand. We'd like to welcome you. Welcome over there on my left. Welcome. So our usher is going to give you, if you can keep your hand raised. Oh, there you go. So we're going to give you some information about our church. When the service is done, please make sure to fill that out and give that over to the sound room, and we'll give you a free Jesus DVD. Or uh, uh, you can scan a code um, if you don't have a DVD player. Okay? All right, guys. God bless you. We're going to do our offering now. Ushers can please come up. And after we do our offering, we're going to continue in worship. So feel free to sit or stand, however you're comfortable. But we are going to continue to worship. All right, let's pray for the offering. Thank you, God, for all that you have given us, Lord. We are so blessed beyond measure everything in our lives, God, that we don't deserve, Lord, but you continue to pour out into our lives anyway because you are just a loving Father. And so, Lord, we we thank you for this opportunity to give just part of our time, part of what you've given us. And we pray, God, that you would use what we give in these tithes and offerings, and then you would use them to be your hands and your feet, that you would use them to further your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray.
lifted up. You are high and lifted up. And all the world will praise your great name. Jesus. Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. You're the Son of God and That's not a coincidence because a couple of months ago at this women's retreat we were at, we sang this song as our theme song. And this song is called I Speak Jesus. And so I encourage you that this would be your prayer, that you would speak Jesus over every aspect of your life, not just here on Sunday morning in this pew, but in everything, over your family, over your career over your relationships, over your children. A lot has happened in the last couple of months, but we know that our Jesus carries us.
mountain starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. Yes. I speak Jesus.
Jesus, over our anxiety, over our sickness, over our relationships, over our children, our grandchildren, our households, our careers, and our addictions, the strongholds that the enemy has, we speak Jesus over them. God, you are our anchor. We hold on to you, Lord. sing this one more time. Your name is power. Your name is healing and your name is life. God for this Memorial Day weekend. We thank you, Lord, for the greatest memorial of all, which is your son who came to this earth and died for us on the cross to take away our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day and is here with us today, Lord God, to give you all the praise and glory. Lord God, on this morning, we do, Lord God, want to also remember all those who have gone before us in war, who gave their life, Lord God, for us so that we could live, Lord God, and be free. We want to thank you, Lord God, and we pray for all those families, Lord God, who have lost loved ones, who are suffering right now, who will think of that son or that daughter who laid down their life for this country. We want to pray for their comfort. We want to pray for their strength, Lord God, and we want to pray that you, Jesus, would fill the void that's in their life. And, Lord God, bring, Lord God, peace to their hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you all. Welcome one another. Then have a seat. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, worship team. So a couple of, a couple of announcements that were not given to you before. One is we, are, uh, we have a parking lot. And as you know, we have very limited parking here. God bless you all. I see some of you are having to park on the other side of town to get here to the service, and uh, we appreciate you for that. Uh, but this parking lot out here, we want to leave it for people who are uh, seniors and people who are disabled, okay? So there's a municipal lot across the street, okay? If you, if you actually there's a, I think right now it's, is it a car wash? Behind the car wash, there's a municipal lot. You've got lots of parking there. But leave this lot, and even in the front of the church, leave that available for people who, um, you know, who have a hard time walking and the elderly so we can, you know, we can help them out, okay? Uh, tomorrow's Memorial Day. In America, Memorial Day has become nothing more than a, part, uh, a party of drinking and overeating. Take time tomorrow to think about people who gave their lives. If they didn't give their lives, okay, you'd all be walking around with swastikas if you were even alive, right, on your shoulders. So just, you know, my, my dad came back from World War II. He was wounded three times. 
and almost lost his hand. But, you know, he gave part of his life. So we want to remember those who have given body parts. We want to remember those who have given their hearts and souls. And we want to remember those who have given their lives for the freedom that we have in this country. So um, I think that uh, I just want to encourage you with that. Also, Nellie's grandson, he is in surgery right now. And he is having surgery on his lung. So I'm just going to ask you for a moment. Just bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we pray, Lord God, our sister, Lord God, just two sisters who we love so much, who bring such blessing to Living Word Community Church. I want to pray, Lord God, for the healing of this man. And Lord God, we just pray that your divine touch, your healing word would be there. God, the hands of the surgeons, the nurses, Lord, the assistants, bring healing to this man, however you would, Lord God, through your divine hand, through the doctor's hand. And we want to pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Remember to keep him in your prayers. So how you all doing? Good? It's good to see you here this morning. And uh, I want to share a word with you today from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The title of the message is Evidence. You know, we have evidence for our faith. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. As we go through the Gospel of Mark and are coming to its conclusion... We'll be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, for the next few weeks. So now the word of the Lord says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, and when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he arose, or I'm sorry, I, I missed a verse. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And after that, he appeared to another form, to two of them, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, Lord God, the risen Savior, Lord, such tremendous evidence, evidence that demands a verdict, Lord, Facts that, that every human being need to take time to, to look at. For Lord God, when we look into your word, when we look at the facts, Lord God, it is then when we open our hearts that you reveal yourself to us as the risen Savior, as the risen Lord. We can know you, we can experience you, Lord God, and we can be deeply touched by your love and by your power. So I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, that our eyes would be open today to take in your word, Lord God, and I pray, Lord God, that there would be an, an abundance, Lord God, of fruit that comes from today's message into the hearts of all those here and who are watching. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So each of the four Gospels end with the resurrection of Jesus, and you have detailed accounts of his resurrection and his appearances to multiple, multiple appearances to multiple amounts of people uh, who gave their testimony and their accounts of them seeing him. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, is still in the tomb, it is really the end of our faith. And, and this, is, this is made very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 18. You talk about just something being so matter of fact. It says, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised Christ, of whom uh, he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. No life after death. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all uh, men the most pitiable. Remember Mr. T? He'd say, uh, what did he say? I pity the fool. Well, that's what Paul is saying. I pity the fool. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are a bunch of pitiful fools. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, let me tell you, there are a whole lot of things that we could be doing that are going to be better than this because we only have a few more years to live, and then it's over. So, I mean, geez, you know, what, what the Word of God is, you know, is, is saying, right? If Jesus didn't rise, this is just a waste of time, right? It's, it, it, it's futile. It's, it's empty. It's worthless. And again, we should be pitied. But what I'm doing here today, I'm doing because I believe that Jesus is risen. And I believe that essentially... I'm doing something that is incredibly important and productive. So what I want to share with you, I want to share with you some of the essential facts that concern the resurrection. So I'm going to, I'm going to focus on seven things this morning. First, <clears throat> who moved the stone? Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 5. I want you to notice. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, three women, three women brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb and the sun had risen and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And then entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, they are the first to witness, okay, essentially the evidence of the empty tomb. And they went to the apostles, right, and they told them that Jesus was risen. And what did the apostles do? They didn't believe them. They didn't believe them. Now, I want to I share this with you. In the first century, women 
did not have a place in society. Okay, we're in a very different time right now. But, but women, well, I'm going to read to you from the Jewish historian Josephus, Josephus Flavius, uh, regarding the reliability of women. Okay, he was the first century, probably the, the best historian of the first century. He, I have his volume upstairs, and it's, you know, it's 800 pages. It gives us the history, the history of the Jewish people. And this is, what, this is what he said, and I quote, Let not the testimony of a woman be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. In other words, they can't be relied upon. Why? Because they're women. It's very fitting that all your women today are wearing your shirts, you know. And this is, uh... So a woman's, a woman's testimony could not be trusted because essentially it was a male-dominated world and women were women. Now, if you were going to invent a story that Jesus rose from the dead when you know he didn't to fool people and fool the world, would you write in your account that women were the first (laughs) to witness the empty tomb and then to tell people about the resurrection of Jesus? You wouldn't do that. It, It makes no sense. Now, the women go and they tell. Now, a few other key things about the empty tomb. So the stone was rolled away from the front of it. The stone probably weighed a couple, weighed a couple of tons, two or three tons. Take, take three strong men, maybe four strong men, to be able to, uh, to roll that, that stone away. And by the way, the stone was down, it, it was actually rolled down into a gully. So you're having to push it uphill to be able to remove it. So that huge stone was removed. Now, the Romans, again, what happened was the Pharisees, Sadducees went to Pilate and told him that, hey, his apostles, they're going to come and they're going to steal the body. So you have to seal the stone and put a guard in front of it. So the stone was sealed. There's a great picture of of something, a rendition of an artist of what it may have looked like. But the stone was sealed by the Roman seal. To break the seal was punishable by what? Crucifixion upside down. Good, John, you're listening. You're listening. John, do you know that when you're speaking to a group like this, 80% will walk out of here and remember nothing of what is said? It's 80%. I'm a public speaker. I do do public speaking all week. And that is a fact, that 80% will walk out of a church or a seminar and remember nothing. They get nothing out of it. And then that, like, there's like 15% who get a little bit, and there's 5% who actually walk out with something that actually transforms their life and changes them. But that is sobering for what I have to do, that just knowing that, that the majority of people here today are going to walk out of here and it's going to make no difference in their life. Like, you could be, I could be here, I could be giving you the formula to become a multimillionaire, and again, 80% will just walk out and not get it. It's, it's amazing. So they put the seal, which again, to break it, was punishable by um, crucifixion being upside down. And then they put a Roman guard. That's not one guard. That's four Roman soldiers. A Roman guard is four soldiers. I just want to say these, these are battle-hardened warriors, They're experts in the long sword. They are experts in the short sword. 
They are experts in the javelin and they are experts in the shield. I've trained, I've trained with knives for many years. I just want to say this. You go up a person who is a trained knife fighter, you could have a knife in your hand, they're gonna cut you, they're gonna cut you up into ribbons. And and the man that I'm training with right now is is one of the top knife trainers in the United States. And when I go with him, and we're using plastic knives, hey, I come home some nights, I've got welts on my hands, on my forearms, on my shoulders, on my neck, sometimes on my head, on my legs. Just from the, from the, from the, 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 the I mean, he, he just cuts me, he just cuts me up. So these are, these are trained warriors. And they're not carrying plastic knives. They're incredible, incredible warriors. So the argument that has been made is that the apostles came and stole the body while these soldiers were guarding the tomb. So fishermen who after Jesus was arrested deserted him and denied him are hiding fearful of their lives, that the Romans are going to come and take them and crucify them. Now, now, understand, I'm not saying that the apostles came or could have come and taken on the Roman soldiers. What I'm saying, though, is that the argument is that somehow they snuck through the night for the Roman soldiers had been sleeping. And while the Roman soldiers are sleeping only a short distance from the very body of Jesus, they rolled the stone away they went in and took their time and unraveled the body because the burial cloth was left there and then they carried the body. Could you imagine? Peter, John, Thomas. Imagine if they stepped on a leaf. <laughs> That's the argument. That's the argument. So the first question that you really need to look at and answer is, who moved the stone? Second, where's the body? In John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And Peter and John went running down, right? They went running to the tomb, and when they looked in, the body was gone. So the question is, where's the body? So this is, again, this is the fabricated story that was made, essentially, by, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It says, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that have happened. The four who... Um, were outside of the tomb. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. They gave them a bribe, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole away the body while he slept. Again, those courageous fishermen with their fishing poles went and risked their lives with four Roman soldiers, right, sleeping outside. 
And if this comes to the governor's ears, he will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So again, the fabricated story that the apostles came and stole the body, which has been the most consistent uh, fabrication that has been used over the course of the last 2,000 years. In fact, there was um, Justin Martyr writing in the uh, second century he was, um, actually it was, it was called a dialogue with trifle, it's a discussion about the Christian faith. Uh, even at that time, 200 years, about, about 150 years later, the story still goes that um, the apostles came and stole the body of Jesus out of the tomb. So I bring you back here. The body, if it was stolen, You have the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders of Israel. Tremendous power. You got 6,000 Pharisees, probably all in Jerusalem because of the Passover. You got the Sadducees and you got the priests. You got the temple guard, which was made up of hundreds of, um, of Jewish soldiers. And then you got Pilate. And Pilate had essentially accessible to him, 3,000 Roman soldiers, most of whom would have been in Jerusalem because of the Passover, because of the large crowds that were coming. And um, with all these resources, all these soldiers, all this power, all this authority, the authority of Rome, all they needed to do was find the body, folks, and that would have been the end of it. And in 2,000 years, they have never produced the body. If they produced the body, it would have been the end of what they believed was a hoax. That would have been it. And Jerusalem wasn't so big that, you know, all these people couldn't literally go house to house to find the body. And there was this massive persecution that occurred, you know, in those in those previous those previous weeks. 2006. I don't know if you you know who James Cameron is. Remember the movie Titanic? James Cameron, he's the writer, producer of the movie Titanic. He, um, he produced this picture, this motion picture about the lost tomb of Jesus. The 2,000 year mystery has finally been solved. The body of Jesus has been found. And they found a tomb in Jerusalem. And buried in the tomb was a man named Yeshua with the rest of his family, his wife, his kids, his mother, his father. The name, the name Yeshua, right? What is it in English? Joshua. Uh, Jesus. You know how common that name was in the time of Jesus? It would be like John or maybe Roberto or, or Carlos or maybe from an Italian family, Frank. My grandfather was Frank. My uncle was Frank. My grandfather's father was Frank. Uh, I'm Frank, right? My son is Frank. My neighbor next door, the Visagios, it was Frank and Frank. And again, in my house, it was Frank and Frank. And when Sue would come outside and yell, Frank, it's time for dinner, you'd have like four people running to the front door because everybody was named Frank. I mean, this, this, was, this was easily, easily... I mean, it, 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 you know, obviously, you, most of you, have any of you even heard of this? Yeah, it didn't take any, it, it didn't get any traction. It didn't get any traction. He probably made millions of dollars on it. And, um, and the real, you know, the, the crazy, crazy skeptics like Bill Moore probably, probably got into it, right? But the, the rest of the people, were just, they just blew it off. So, again, 
You have the tomb, but you don't have a body. A Gordon tomb was excavated in 1867 by Charles Gordon. He was a British general. And um, it's interesting because Golgotha, which I think I've shared this with you, the place of the skull, there was a garden right nearby, and in it there was a tomb. It was only about 200 yards from Golgotha, the place of the skull, where I believe Jesus was crucified. And, um, and according to John, it really fits the narrative that where Jesus was crucified, he was basically buried in a short distance from, uh, from the place of Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the crucifixion. When they excavated this tomb, this garden tomb, first of all, it was the tomb of a rich man. Very elaborate tomb. Very large. Had to be hewn out of rock. Cost, cost tens of thousands of dollars to do that. So a rich, man, a rich man had to have essentially owned the tomb. But they found no body in it. Now there were tombs excavated all over Israel. They find bodies in them. But there was no body found in the garden tomb, we've been, been in there. I mean, we go to Israel, we go in there, you know, we come out and we take pictures and everybody's like waving their arms. You know, most of you have gone with me to Israel, you do that. Essentially, though, again, where's the body? And the body hasn't been found in 2,000 years. Number three, what about the burial cloth? So the burial cloth tells a, a really an amazing story. In John chapter 20, verse 2 through 7, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. This is Peter and John having a race. And the other disciple outran Peter. John makes sure that, that he put that in there. John outran Peter. John was a young kid. Peter was a bit older. He, re, he beat him down the race to the uh, tomb. And they came uh, to the, he came to the tomb first. And he stooped, uh, stooping down and looked in. Saw the linen cloth lying there. Yet he did not go in, and, and then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Boy, did somebody go through a lot of trouble. Here is what it would have looked like. The linen cloth, as though the body had essentially evaporated, you know, from within. And again, I just want you to think of this. If you were stealing the body and there were Roman soldiers outside, and let's say they're, they're really tired and they're sleeping, you want to tell me that you're going to take the time to unravel the body and then fold the handkerchief that went over his face neatly and then take the body out? In the movie, The, the Passion of the Christ, it gives you a, a really good, it's a good depiction of, um, I believe, you know, again, what it might have looked like. Take a look at this. Can we make sure we have sound? There is a wonderful video here. 
Let's see. Here. get the picture, right? That it's as though the body evaporated from within, okay, the linen cloth, the linen wrapping, like a mummy, again. Now, again, the facial cloth is folded really nicely, separated from the linen cloth. And that itself tells an incredible story. So, essentially, in the time of Jesus, person would sit down to dinner, say the, the head of the house is sitting down to dinner, and um, if he was done with dinner, he would take the napkin and just plop it down on his plate. That meant he was done. But if he folded the napkin, let's say he had to get up and do something, if he folded the napkin, it meant he was coming back. The napkin wasn't dropped on the plate. The napkin was carefully folded, which I think tells us a message. I mean, what did, what did Jesus say? Look at John 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. He repeated this over and over again. Believe it or not, some of you have, have a hard time believing this, but believe it or not, believe it or not, before Arnold said, I'll be back, Jesus said, I'll be back. And Arnold said, I'll be back in like every move he ever made. And all the Gospels tell us that Jesus said, I'll be back. So again, what about the burial cloth? What about the handkerchief? Number four, what of all those who saw Jesus resurrected? So in Mark chapter 16, we look at verse 6, 13. Mary Magdalene and the women all right, claimed, right, they experienced the resurrected Lord. On their way from the tomb, when they saw the empty tomb, Jesus met them. And you go through the, the, the Gospels. This is a great chart. Use this when we do some deeper teachings on the, uh, on the resurrection. Um, seen by Mary Magdalene, seen by certain women, seen by Peter, seen by two disciples on the road to Emmaus, seen by the ten apostles, Thomas being absent. That's the night uh, Sunday night of the resurrection to all the 11 apostles one week later including Thomas where Thomas then you know realizes that Jesus is risen and he says my Lord my God to several disciples at the Sea of Galilee right breakfast with Jesus right you know that that passage that we love uh, to the apostles and about 500 brethren at once on an appointed mountain in Galilee to James uh, to the apostles at Jerusalem immediately before the ascension and to Saul of Tarsus 
All these people who claimed to have seen the risen Lord. It, it, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, then by the twelve, and after that he was uh, seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, that uh, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of uh, due time. So he is appearing to all these people. One of the interesting things is the appearance to over 500 people. You know, individually, people can hallucinate. I mean, people can see all kinds of crazy, crazy things. I just have people coming to me, telling me of things that they've seen that I, you know, I question. I question, and um, and believe me, I'm, I'm, I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the angelic realm. But sometimes, sometimes people are, you know, things that they will say. But I, I believe we can, you know, we can see what we want to see. We can hallucinate. We can dream what we, we, we want to dream. But it's interesting that, that science, when it talks about hallucinations, it has a lot to do with the brain chemistry, the, um, the endorphins, uh, the, uh, the different functioning of, of different neurotransmitters. And when it comes to a mass hallucination, 500 people all experiencing the same brain chemistry at the same time, pretty much you look get into the science of this, it's really an impossibility. And again, there were over 500 people who claimed to have seen the risen Christ at one time. Amazing, uh, again, amazing evidence. Number five is, what of the apostles? So you, you see the apostles were hiding, they were afraid, they were terrified, they're in the upper room, they're fearful the Romans are going to come and arrest them and crucify them. And in a matter of days... They went from being these frightened little sheep to being as bold as lions standing in the street proclaiming that Jesus is risen and being beaten for it, being attacked for it, and basically saying, hey, we're not, we're not going to not talk about what we believe and what we've seen. And they just continue to testify that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is Peter who just a short time before denied the Lord three times. This is Acts chapter 2, 24, and then verse 32. And this is his sermon. It's worth reading. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are witnesses. And you go through the book of Acts, you see the, the, the testimony of the preaching in the book of Acts is all centered in the resurrection. The sermons of Peter, the sermons of Paul, the sermon of Stephen were all centered that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And these apostles, they all went on to die, to be martyred. You're, you're not going to die for a lie that you know is a lie. Nobody dies for a lie that they know is a lie. And yet we see the 12 apostles, everyone but John, Andrew crucified, Bartholomew beaten, then crucified. James, the son of Alphaeus, stoned to death. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded. John, exiled for his faith. He died at an old age on the island of Patmos. You can read about that in the book of the Revelation, chapter 1. Judas, not Iscariot, stoned to death. Matthew, speared to death. Peter, crucified upside down. Philip, crucified. Simon, crucified. Thomas, speared to death. And Matthias, stoned to death. 
And we get that from Fox's Book of Martyrs. There's some real, there's some real good historical data, a lot. In fact, up in my library, I have some really good stuff that was written in the first 200 years of Christianity that give testimony to all of the apostles. Again, dying, dying for their faith. You don't die for a lie that you know is a lie. Now, I'm going to use an illustration here. May just tune into me now, because sometimes people really don't listen well, and then they walk out of here, and they'll be saying, Pastor Frank compared the 9-11 terrorists with the apostles. Okay? There is, there is a level of comparison here. I'm not talking about moral comparison. I'm not talking about spiritual comparison. I'm talking about, though, a belief comparison. So those who blew up the World Trade Center, crashed the plane right out in the uh, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, backcountry, and then uh, crashed the plane into the Pentagon. They killed, they killed themselves, and they killed over 3,000 other people. They believed that Islam and the Koran were true. And they believed that by killing themselves and killing others, that they would go to Allah heaven, I don't know what, quite what it's called, Allah heaven, and that they would be given 70 beautiful virgins. By the way, do you know what they were doing the night before? They all went to strip clubs. Why did they go there? Because that's what they believed they were going to be experiencing after they martyred themselves and killed all those people. So they had, they, they had a, a true, sincere belief. They were certain that Islam, right, that the Quran were true. If they did not believe that the Quran was true or Islam was true, do you think they would have risked their lives, everything, by carrying out the terrorist attacks of 9-11? Do you believe that the apostles, if they had fabricated the story of the resurrection, would have gone out and brought the gospel, right, to Asia Minor, to Greece, to Rome, to India, right, to Northern Africa. Do you think they would have done that knowing that it was a fake, that it was a fabricated story, and they would have been willing to die for that? No way! No human being in their right mind will die for a lie that they know is a lie. They'll die for a lie that they believe is true, like the terrorists but they will not die for a lie that they know is a lie. And what do they all say? We experienced him. We saw him. Look, look at what John says. Get these guys off, of your, uh, off the screen. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We've seen him, we've held him, we've touched him, We've heard him. They experienced the risen Christ, and now they went and they died. They died. Horrible deaths. Because they experienced him. What of the apostles? Number six, what 
of the conversion of Paul. In Acts chapter 22, verse 2 through 8, and when they heard that he spoke to them, Paul speaking, in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamal, toward according to the strictness of the Father's law, and was zealous towards God, as you all are today. I persecuted the way. He persecuted the Christians to death. He was putting people to death. He supervised the death of Stephen. Binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice that saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Not quite, but somewhat close. You know who Richard Dawkins is? Richard Dawkins is, is, is an Oxford, he's a scholar, an atheist. He hates Christianity. He hates you. He hates you. Hates you. He hates me. He, I mean, he's, 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 he's violently hateful towards Christianity. What happened to Paul would be like you finding out tomorrow morning that Richard Dawkins was, was saved and now preaching the gospel. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, it would be so radical. Paul, persecuting the church, killing Christians, right? Just, just he, he is the, the warrior against Christianity now, he's the one who brings the gospel. He gets converted. He brings the gospel to Asia Minor. He brings the gospel to Greece. He brings the gospel to Rome. He really is the catalyst that brings the gospel to the whole world. He wrote one-third of our New Testament right here. No, you may be saying, well, how could it be a third? Because his books were shorter. His epistles were shorter than the uh, four Gospels in the book of the Revelation. But he, he brought the Gospel, right, to the world, and he wrote one-third of the New Testament. And then he suffered horribly, horribly for Jesus. How horrible. I'll read it to you. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received the 40 stripes minus one. Take the skin right off your back. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides other things, 
what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all my churches. Don't you love Paul? Don't you love Paul? That's what he went through. He suffered for the faith. What do you do? Paul, Paul is an anomaly, an anomaly to psychologists. In fact, I'm somewhat of an anomaly, not even comparing myself with Paul, but I was an atheist who in a matter of a Friday evening to a Monday night went from being an atheist to a, to a believer in God to a theist to believing in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and becoming a Christian. And they can't explain that. That's, they can't explain that type of radical, that radical change, that radical conversion. And Paul is the ultimate anomaly. Last one here. What of the church? What of us? What of 2,000 years of Christianity? In Acts chapter 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily and they have been doing that for 2,000 years. Our faith built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that, that when a person takes the time to examine the facts of the resurrection, I'm talking about like they need to be sincere, they need to be honest. When a person is sincere and honest and they examine the very facts of the resurrection, I believe they will come to meet the risen Savior. I, tru I truly believe that. I just will we'll read to you from 1 Peter. I love this verse. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. It says, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, how many of you have that experience? I've never seen him. I've never seen him. And yet I love him. I love him more than, than anyone. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, right? Never seen him, but I believe in him. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I, I really believe that when a person sincerely looks at the facts, opens their heart, that they will meet the risen Christ. I want to show you, show you a couple of, of examples of this. Have you ever read the book Ben-Hur? So Ben-Hur was written by Lew Wallace. Lew Wallace was a Civil War general. He was a scholar. He was a, a, actually a brilliant scholar. But he was an atheist who set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was his goal. He wanted to disprove, put, it, put, it, put the myth to death. And so he began to research and look at all the facts. Lew Wallace met Jesus, became a Christian, and he wrote Ben-Hur, which is the greatest Christian epic. That it, I mean, read it. It's, it's just incredible. Watch the movie if you can't read or you don't read. Watch the movie with Charlton Heston. It's, it's, it's just an incredible movie. Frank Morrison was a reporter for the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. He set out too. He was an atheist, and Frank Morrison set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. He too began to gather all the facts and look at things. Frank Morrison met Jesus along the way, and he wrote the book Who Moved the Stone, which is one of the greatest works on the resurrection that's ever been written. In more recent years, Josh McDowell, Josh McDowell again, an atheist and a skeptic, set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as he began to research, he met Jesus along the way. And he wrote evidence that demands a verdict. Now he's got, I don't know, two or three volumes. They all 
when they sincerely, honestly looked at the facts, they came to believe in Jesus. They came to meet Jesus. I mean, they became men who were incredibly used by Jesus. So here's, our, here's my, my final note, keynote here. I want to share with you another, another man, Simon Greenleaf. Have you ever heard of Simon Greenleaf? He's got a great little book worth reading. Simon Greenleaf was the, uh, one of the founders of the Harvard Law School. He was a skeptic, okay? And um, in one of his classes at the end of the year, he took all of the, uh, the promising attorneys, and their goal was to research the resurrection of Jesus and prove in a court of law that Jesus did not rise from the dead. After, again, gathering all the information with the students, this is, this is what he said. He said, a person who rejects Christ may choose to say that I do not accept it. I mean, we're all free to choose or not to choose. But he said, he may not choose to say there is not enough evidence. Because the evidence is, is overwhelming. And Simon Greenleaf wrote the testimony of the evangelist. Well, these are some good books to read all very centered in scripture. Hey, let me say something to parents. This message I gave to you, you got kids? They ain't going to learn this in school. They ain't going to learn it in the Christian school for the most part. Let me say that to you. My kids went to Christian school. Teach it to your kids. Teach it to your kids. Because when they get out there, their faith is going to get attacked far more and beyond anything that we have experienced. But get them, get them, get this, teach this to your children. Raise them up and teach them from the scriptures these facts about the resurrection of Jesus. So, you know, he split history in two. Have you noticed that? That even the atheists have to go by the calendar that he split in two. Don't you love that? Right? What is today? May 28th? of the year 2023, the year of our Lord, B.C. and A.D. He split history in two. <laughs> he split religion in two. Sometimes he splits people's brains in two. <laughs> he splits our hearts in two. To go through life, to go through this life, and not to examine this evidence, that's tragedy. That's, that's, that, that's tragedy. Some of you here, some of you watching, some of you watching in upcoming weeks, you'll hear this message and you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll ask him to come into your heart and you'll put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. You'll put your faith in him that he died on the cross and that he was raised from the dead. And you'll receive the gift of eternal life. You'll come to know him. You'll come to meet him. But some of you are sitting there and you are still skeptical. And I understand that. I first had the gospel shared with me at 17 years old. I didn't accept the Lord until I was 23. I started looking at the facts. Started searching. It took me time to really come to a place. By the way, once I did that, I never looked back. Never look, I've, I said this, I've never doubted Jesus. I doubt myself, I doubt people, I doubt the world, but I've never doubted that Jesus is God 
that he came to this earth, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead. Never doubted my salvation. But some of you are going to need to do more research. You're going to need to open the Bible and look. Look at the facts. Maybe you need a little help. And you need to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Maybe you need to go and look at, you know, what Simon Greenleaf and all the verses, all the things that he puts together, logically, or Frank Morrison, and take a look. Because, you see, you're going to have to make a decision either for or against Jesus. And that decision is going to determine your destiny. And that's why it's worth It's worth putting down your iPhone, turning off your computer, turning off Netflix, or whatever else you're involved in, and really looking at the facts. Because I believe when you do that and do it sincerely and honestly, honesty, you will come to believe and come to know him. Amen? Let's all bow our heads. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that the faith that you have given us, Lord God, is not just some wild jump into oblivion. But your word, Lord God, is filled with truth. Your word is filled with facts, Lord God. The historical data is truly overwhelming. And we stand on a very strong foundation, Lord God, that you have given to us. A foundation, Lord God, of of true faith, of true belief. I pray, Lord God, for all. For those, Lord God, today, they're ready to accept Jesus into their heart. I just pray that you would do it right now. Ask Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. Ask him to be the forgiver of all your sins. Ask him to be the leader of your life. Just confess to him that you believe in him, and you believe he died for you and was raised from the dead. You do that. You do that sincerely from your heart. The Bible says you will be saved. And for those of you who are sitting there and saying, I need more information, you know what? It's there. Make a commitment today before you leave to begin to search and seek that truth. Father, I thank you, Lord God, again for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the life, Lord, that you have given to us through him. For in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Stand with me. Close in song. The altars, if you'd like to come forward, they're always open. You can always come forward for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for that word. The messages of our resurrected Lord. We're going to sing that song again called I Speak Jesus. speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name Jesus, till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope.
Jesus from the mountain 